It was October of 37 CE. Caligula was only 25 years old, and for the past six months, he'd ruled the world's largest and most feared empire. To this point in his short reign, he'd been embraced by the Senate, the military, and Rome's everyday citizens. But in every shadow, conspirators plotted to seize the young emperor's power by any means necessary. After a dinner to celebrate the capture of a foreign territory, Caligula drunkenly stumbled to his chamber. As he began to unrobe, he felt a sharp pain in his abdomen. The room around him started to spin. This feeling was different from the pain he felt during his frequent seizures. This was something else. When he called for help, he heard his companions whisper the word poison. Caligula struggled for breath, pushing away everyone who tried to help. He had no hint of who might have poisoned him, but in his mind, he could build a case against each and every one of his guests and attendants. He conjured up motives for everyone in the entire world to betray him. As he faded into unconsciousness, Caligula promised himself that if he survived this assassination attempt, there would never be a second. Anyone who attempted to cross him would immediately be eliminated. One death can change the world. At least, that's what assassins believe. Welcome to Assassinations on the ParCast Network. Every Monday, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated. I'm your host, Bill Thomas. And I'm your host, Kate Leonard. This week, we'll travel back to the first century CE to examine the assassination of Roman Emperor Caligula at the hands of his bodyguard, Cassius Cheria. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook or Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. When Caligula became the emperor of Rome in 37 CE, the empire was as rich and powerful as it had ever been. The two emperors that preceded him, Augustus and Tiberius, his great-grandfather and great-uncle respectively, had ushered Rome through an era of peace and prosperity. But the empire was beginning to rot from the inside out. Greed and jealousy were rife in Rome's powerful circles, and anyone with even a little bit of power needed eyes in the back of their head. Caligula himself had come to power by murdering his great-uncle, Emperor Tiberius. Living on that knife's edge of constant power grabs and paranoia is what caused Caligula to drive Rome into ruins. Only two years into his rule, Caligula had brought Rome's fortune to the brink of bankruptcy by building lavish palaces for himself all over the empire. He had the military seething due to his confusing orders that had troops running in circles. On a whim, Caligula would have citizens tortured or killed for no reason at all. Caligula's indulgences gave many around him reasons to want him dead, but it was one of his own bodyguards, Cassius Cheria, who had finally had enough. 
Cassius Cheria was a career soldier born around the very beginning of the first century. We can assume he was a Roman citizen from birth, as a non-citizen wouldn't have been able to climb the ranks of the military so successfully from legionary recruit to praetorian guard. To be accepted as a recruit in the legionary, Cassius had to meet three requirements. He had to be in good health, be able to read and write, and be at least 18 years old. Once he met the age requirement, Cassius signed up for basic training. The Roman military held its soldiers to brutally high standards. New recruits were subjected to a grueling round of training meant to test their manhood. It included 24-mile marches, carrying over 50 pounds of gear and equipment that would have left Cassius's feet sore and skin raw. Once he'd proven he was able to march in step and follow orders, he moved on to weapons training. With rigorous repetition, Cassius practiced attacks with wooden weapons under the heat of a blazing sun. After nearly four months of intense training, Cassius was finally able to call himself a Roman soldier. One of the first tests of Cassius's abilities came around 16 CE when he found himself under the command of the mighty general Germanicus. After stamping down a mutiny by veteran soldiers on the battlefront in north-central Europe, Germanicus sent legions of new recruits, including Cassius, to replace them. Cassius and his fellow soldiers marched from Rome to the Visa River in modern-day Germany, carrying shields and banners emblazoned with the image of General Germanicus's four-year-old son, Caligula. The boy, whose nickname translates to Little Boots, often joined his father on military campaigns, and he'd become something of a mascot for the Roman army. On the Germanic front, Cassius made a name for himself as a brave soldier and an effective killer. Skilled with a javelin and as strong as an ox, Cassius racked up a number of small promotions over his first few years in the military. In one skirmish with a particularly ruthless band of Germanic soldiers, Cassius and his sword were matched with a formidable opponent who carried a crudely made axe. The Germanic soldier's axe struck a blow directly to Cassius's groin. Amid unimaginable pain, Cassius took up a defensive stance, gripped his sword tightly, and swung the blade, cleanly chopping off his attacker's head. Cassius dropped to the ground as his fellow soldiers surrounded him in amazement. His wound eventually healed but the injury left him with a high-pitched voice for the rest of his life. While a man like Cassius would have been the definition of masculinity in Roman culture with a hard chiseled body and military glory, his feminine voice made him a subject of mockery. It wasn't much of an issue for his fellow soldiers who knew his reputation as a devastating warrior, but if Cassius wanted to climb to the top of the military ladder, he'd have to earn the respect of politicians who'd never served a day and didn't understand the dangers of the battlefield. After more than a decade of toiling on foreign soil, spilling blood, and gaining scars for the glory of the Roman Empire, Cassius set his sights on becoming a centurion. Centurions commanded groups of 200 or more soldiers, sometimes leading as many as 1,500 men. To obtain the rank, Cassius had to be skilled not only on the battlefield, but also in the halls of power. 
Cassius would have needed to get letters of recommendation from within the military and government before his superiors would even consider a promotion. His reputation as a renowned soldier seemed to outweigh his embarrassing vocal defect, and Cassius found all the right connections to earn the rank of centurion in around 14 CE. While the life of a centurion provided Cassius with higher pay and a bit more comfort from day to day, the life of a soldier was still a difficult one. The Roman Empire was vast, stretching from the sands of Egypt to the plains of Spain. With so much territory, the Roman army was always on the move. After a few years of commanding soldiers as a centurion, Cassius's reputation as a leader made its way to the right ears. In around 35 CE, he was invited to join the ranks of the elite Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guardsmen were something between Navy SEALs and Secret Service agents. They were highly skilled and very deadly, and their primary job was to protect the emperor. But when Cassius was sworn in as a Praetorian Guard in 36 CE, Emperor Tiberius had semi-permanently retreated to his remote villa on the island of Capri, where he was protected by his own group of trusted bodyguards. The rest of the Praetorians would remain stationed in Rome, keeping order in the empire's capital. Given more or less free reign within the empire's center of power, the Praetorians had started to learn that power could be seized by something other than the tip of a sword. Roman aristocrats and senators showered them with money and influence in exchange for their security services, and the Praetorians transformed into a political force to be reckoned with. The first test of the Praetorians' political influence came in 37 CE, when 77-year-old Emperor Tiberius died at his home in Capri. Two possible successors lobbied to replace him, Tiberius's grandson, Gemellus, and his great-nephew, Caligula, the son of the late general Germanicus. The key word here is late. Germanicus, the beloved general, had been murdered by Emperor Tiberius some years ago, and his former soldiers weren't too happy about it. When given the choice between Tiberius's hand-picked heir and the son of their martyred military hero, it didn't take the Praetorians long to decide. Cassius was just one of many Praetorian guards in Rome, so it's unlikely that he had any direct role in the discussions. But the Praetorians stationed in Capri unanimously gave their backing to the young man they fondly remembered as the mascot of their military. A procession of soldiers led the 24-year-old Caligula from the shores of Capri to the streets of Rome, hoping to gain the Senate's approval to install him as emperor. The senators easily agreed. While Caligula was getting fitted for his laurels, a new group of Praetorian guards were being assembled for his protection detail. Cassius Cheria was chosen as the cohort's commander. At around 40 years old, the battle-hardened centurion was at the pinnacle of his career, and he would soon find himself in the service of a young coward who was his complete opposite in every way. We'll take a look at the life of Rome's next emperor right after this. Now back to the story. In 12 CE, Rome's great general Germanicus Julius Caesar had a son. 
Gaius Julius Caesar, born on August 31st, 12 CE, was named after his ancestor, the Roman Republic's assassinated leader, Julius Caesar. But at just two years old, he was given the nickname that would stick for the rest of his life, Caligula. On both sides of his family, Caligula was born with the bluest of blood. The family tree is a little hard to follow, but Caligula's father, Germanicus, was the nephew and adopted son of Tiberius. Tiberius, in turn, was the nephew and adopted son of the ruling emperor, Augustus. Caligula's mother, Agrippina, was Tiberius's stepdaughter and Emperor Augustus's granddaughter. If you're following along, that means Caligula's parents, Germanicus and Agrippina, were both distant cousins and adoptive step-siblings. The family dynamic was even more twisted than it sounds. In the cutthroat Roman Empire, marriages and adoptions were often no more than legal ploys to secure power. Augustus had adopted Tiberius to ensure that he would be his legal successor. As part of the arrangement, he required Tiberius to adopt Germanicus, putting him second in line for the throne. Germanicus then married Emperor Augustus's granddaughter, Agrippina, who was now also his legal stepsister, to get himself even closer to the seat of power. All this to say, when baby Caligula was born in 12 CE, he was perfectly poised to take over the empire himself one day. He and his siblings were always by their father's side when he led conquests and campaigns across Europe. Caligula's mother, Agrippina, was savvy of how the politics of Rome worked, and she used her adorable young son to gain favor among the soldiers. When Caligula was as young as two years old, Agrippina dressed him up in a tiny soldier's uniform and paraded him around the camp, teaching him to imitate the military salutes. This is how he received the nickname Caligula, which translates to Little Soldier's Boots. Many of the soldiers had their own families back home, and having the boy around gave them a huge moral boost. Caligula's popularity spread among Rome's entire military, and his image was emblazoned on shields, armor, and uniforms. Agrippina's marketing campaign couldn't have worked any better. When Emperor Augustus died in 14 CE, his chosen heir, Tiberius, struggled to gain the support he needed to seize control of the empire. Agrippina sensed an opportunity for her celebrated husband, Germanicus, to jump in line and become the next emperor. Unfortunately, Agrippina overplayed her hand, and Tiberius caught wind of the plot to usurp him. Tiberius eventually gained the Senate support and secured a tight reign on the empire. And once he did, he began to see his nephew-slash-adopted son Germanicus and his stepdaughter-slash-daughter-in-law Agrippina as formidable political rivals. About five years later, in around 19 CE, Germanicus, who was only 34 years old and in peak health, fell suddenly ill. Agrippina found strange objects around the family house, including human bones and piles of ash, and concluded someone was using black magic to take her husband's life. While there is some evidence to back up Agrippina's suspicion, the real reason for Germanicus's illness was most likely poison. Whatever the cause, Agrippina knew who must be behind it 
Emperor Tiberius. After a few days of illness, Germanicus's health took a grave turn. On his deathbed, he begged his wife, for the sake of herself and their children, not to seek revenge against Tiberius. After Germanicus died, Agrippina didn't heed her husband's words. She began to plot how to make the emperor pay. Word inevitably spread to Tiberius, and before she got a chance to put her revenge plan into action, she and her two eldest sons were arrested for treason. They were imprisoned and eventually exiled to a remote barren island. Caligula, then just eight years old, and his four sisters would never see their mother or brothers again. With their father dead and their mother in exile, Tiberius ordered the children to be raised by their grandmother in Rome. As Caligula grew into a teen, he was quite frail and sickly. It's been speculated that he suffered from insomnia, Graves' disease, and epilepsy, all of which contributed to his frequent fainting spells, mood swings, and seizures. While the busts and statues of Caligula that exist today depict a healthy young man, he was almost the complete opposite. He was short and thin, with sunken eyes and thinning hair. In 31 CE, when Caligula was about 18 years old, Tiberius commanded that he come live with him at his villa on the island of Capri, under the guise of grooming him as a possible heir. When Caligula arrived on Capri, he discovered that he'd be playing the role of little more than a servant to Tiberius. It must have been a difficult job given that Tiberius was the man who'd ripped away his entire family, but Caligula had no choice but to obey the emperor. The hatred Caligula harbored became even stronger about a year into his service, when Tiberius's guards seized him from his chores and dragged him to the cliff at the edge of the island villa. The cliff was well known as the place where Tiberius held executions. In fact, he threw people off the cliff so often that Tiberius kept a boat full of soldiers stationed at the bottom to spear to death any victims who happened to survive the fall. When Caligula reached the cliff, Tiberius was waiting there to meet him. Caligula surely assumed he was about to meet his death, but Tiberius had a crueler punishment in mind. With a smile on his face, he grabbed Caligula by his thinning golden hair and told him to look out toward the ocean. He said that far out in the distance, on a remote island on the horizon, Caligula's mother and older brothers were all dead his mother by suicide, and his two brothers from starvation. After delivering the news, Tiberius and his guards walked away, leaving Caligula to gaze out at the waters alone. That night, Caligula snuck into Tiberius's room while he was sleeping and held a knife inches from the emperor's throat. Just as he was about to do the deed, he heard the voice of his great-grandfather, the late Emperor Augustus in his head. Augustus told him not to commit the murder, that the time would come when Tiberius would meet justice for his crimes. Caligula came back to Tiberius's room on dozens of nights, and each time Augustus's words would echo in his head. Caligula would simply toss the knife and walk away. Tiberius became aware of what Caligula was up to after the first few attempts, but he never did anything to stop him. 
He relished the knowledge that Caligula was too cowardly to go through with the murder. Even if Caligula was too cowardly to kill him, Tiberius was approaching 80 years old and he wouldn't live forever. Many in Rome wondered who would take his place once he died. And with Tiberius hidden away in his island villa, powerful aristocrats began vying for power all throughout the empire. By 36 CE, Caligula was 23 years old and had been living with Tiberius as potential heir and de facto prisoner for over five years. Ever his mother's son, he began to play upon his fame as the one-time mascot of the Roman legionary and win the friendship and loyalty of Tiberius's Praetorian guards. One soldier that Caligula struck up a particularly close friendship to was named Navius Sertorius Macro. It's theorized that in an attempt to win favor with Caligula, who many perceived as Tiberius's most likely successor, Macro offered to kill Tiberius and aid Caligula's ascension to the throne. Whether Caligula was in on the plan or not, Macro smothered the 77-year-old Tiberius in his sleep in 37 CE. While many knew it was a murder, the official explanation of death from old age was generally accepted as the cause of death. With Tiberius dead, all eyes turned to his two living heirs, his 18-year-old grandson, Gemellus, and his 24-year-old nephew, Caligula. Caligula had carried the favor of the Praetorian Guard by reminding them of his father Germanicus's greatness. His long-dead father was still beloved by the military, and by presenting himself as Germanicus's proxy, Caligula easily won the Praetorians' backing. Caligula and the Praetorian Guard left Capri and made their way to the Senate House in Rome. Swept up in the enthusiasm, all the senators agreed to instate Caligula, whom they referred to as their collective son, as the empire's next ruler. At the beginning of his rule, Caligula was universally beloved. It's been said that he often went up to the city's rooftops and tossed coins to the citizens on the street. These random acts of charity kept the young ruler on the public's good side from day one. Unfortunately, the honeymoon period came to an abrupt end after about six months after he fell victim to a poisoning attempt in 37 CE. Caligula knew fully well how cutthroat the capital could be. His own family had been murdering and plotting against each other for as long as he could remember. He wasn't sure who was behind the attempt on his life, but no one was above his suspicion. The first thing Caligula did was dig into the records on his late uncle Tiberius. He uncovered that Tiberius had had a little help from a few key senators when it came to getting rid of his parents, Germanicus and Agrippina. The list of suspects only grew from there. Backstabbing was obviously a trait that ran in the family, and Caligula became consumed with paranoia that one of his own sisters might be plotting to take the throne. From then on, Caligula made it a point to neutralize potential threats before they could make an attack. Anyone suspected of being a traitor was executed immediately. The first victim was Navius Sertorius Macro, the Praetorian guard who'd helped put Caligula in power just a year earlier. Caligula assumed if Macro was willing to kill Emperor Tiberius, he may as well try and kill another emperor. 
Caligula had both Macro and his wife killed in 38 CE. Other executions were even more arbitrary and more painful. On one occasion, Caligula was walking down the road with his favorite actor. They stopped in front of a statue of the god Jupiter, and Caligula asked the actor who was greater. He, the emperor of Rome, or Jupiter, the greatest of all the gods. When the actor took more than a second to think about the answer, Caligula ordered the actor to be cut to pieces with a whip right then and there. In between strikes, the man begged for his life. Caligula only laughed and mockingly praised the actor's line delivery. Beyond his bloodlust, Caligula became equally well-known for his regular lust. He would roam the streets, pick out any person he found attractive, regardless of age, gender, or social class, and force them to join in the constant orgies he held in the imperial palace. It was also widely rumored that Caligula shared an incestuous relationship with his sister, Julia Drusilla. If murder and sex were Caligula's first and second favorite hobbies, public humiliation was number three. One night, while having a feast with a group of senators, Caligula invited the wife of one of the senators to step away from the table. While the senators continued to eat, they heard Caligula and the senator's wife loudly having sex in the next room. When they came back to the table, Caligula added insult to injury by announcing that the senator's wife was a terrible lover. Caligula loved to humiliate anyone and everyone, including the men that were responsible for protecting his life. The commander of his Praetorian Guard detail, Cassius Cheria, who was around 40 at the time, was a particular target of mockery. Caligula had no admiration for the epic circumstances that had led to Cassius's battlefield groin injury. He mocked Cassius for his high-pitched voice on a daily basis and gave him the nickname Venus, which was a slang term for eunuchs. In front of the entire court, Caligula would shove his hand in Cassius's face and force him to kiss it. When Cassius complied, Caligula would stick his fingers into the renowned soldier's mouth and make obscene gestures. For a battle-hardened man like Cassius, becoming the laughingstock of the Roman court was no easy pill to swallow. He took the humiliation quietly, but his hatred for the emperor was mounting. Soon, the rest of Rome would grow to hate Caligula almost as much as Cassius did. In June of 38 CE, Caligula's favorite sister, Julia Drusilla, suddenly died from an unknown disease. Her death left the 26-year-old emperor heartbroken and even more manic than before. At this point, about two years into Caligula's reign, the bodies really began to pile up. Caligula's suspicion that his sisters were scheming against him turned out to be correct. In 39 CE, Caligula uncovered an assassination conspiracy by his sisters, Agrippina the Younger and Julia Livia. They intended to replace the emperor with Julia Livia's lover, Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. After a speedy trial, Caligula ordered Marcus to be burned alive. Then, just for laughs, he forced his sister, Julia Livia, to carry her lover's ashes all the way to a remote island where she and Agrippina the Younger were to live in exile. 
Suffice to say, Caligula was not much of a romantic, but he did find one person who appreciated his taste for cruelty. Later that year, the 26-year-old emperor married a woman named Melonia Sezonia. She was at least 10 years his senior, and at the time of the wedding, already pregnant with his child. Their relationship was bizarre and twisted, even by Roman standards. Caligula would parade her around naked amongst his friends, and sometimes encourage them to have sex with her while he watched. Melonia also liked to sit by Caligula's side and watch his vicious executions. Caligula would lean over, kiss his wife's neck, and whisper in her ear that if he ever grew tired of her, he'd have to cut her to pieces just to see how much he'd miss her once she was dead. When their daughter was born, they named her Julia Drusilla, after Caligula's beloved sister. People often claimed they knew the girl was Caligula's because when she played with other children, she would try to gouge out their eyes. With his wife and daughter by his side, Caligula turned the imperial palace into a house of horrors. It's estimated that at this point in his rule, he had dozens of people executed each day, some for perceived crimes and others for nothing more than his own amusement. The Praetorian Guard, who were responsible for carrying out the executions, began to lose patience. They'd never imagined that when they handed Caligula power, they'd be creating a monster. Coming up, we'll follow the conspiracy that finally put an end to Caligula's reign of terror. Now, back to the story. About three years into Caligula's rule in 40 CE, his behavior became increasingly cruel and nonsensical. The Roman Senate and military started to question his mental stability. The empire's fortune had been drained by Caligula's lavish building projects and absurd military exercises. In 40 CE, he ordered the military to march toward Britain without explaining his motives or plans to anyone. The soldiers got as far as the English Channel before Caligula suddenly ordered them to stop, collect seashells as spoils of war, and head back home. With Rome's treasury depleted by these useless endeavors, Caligula decided to simply seize property and money from Rome's richest aristocrats. If they complained, he'd order them to be executed. By 41 CE, the 28-year-old emperor had reached the peak of his madness. Caligula commanded that all Romans must worship him as a living god. He started to make plans to move to Egypt permanently, where he expected to be treated like a god by all the Egyptians as well. Having watched the last emperor, Tiberius, hole himself away in Capri while the capital fell into disrepair, the nobility of Rome knew they couldn't allow Caligula to do the same. At least when Tiberius left, he made sure the empire was self-sufficient first. Caligula was leaving them on the verge of financial collapse. For the safety and security of Rome, Caligula had to be stopped. Enter Cassius Cheria. After suffering through years of public humiliation, he was ready to exact revenge on the emperor. As one of Caligula's trusted Praetorian guardsmen, he was always within striking distance of the man he was sworn to protect. With extreme secrecy, Cassius drew upon his military experience to construct a battle plan for Caligula's execution. 
Just after the new year in 41 CE, Caligula realized that Rome was becoming a dangerous place for him to be. He narrowly averted several assassination conspiracies in a matter of weeks. In an attempt to get one step ahead of the never-ending plots, Caligula consulted an oracle. The oracle saw a dangerous person in Caligula's midst. They struggled to see the future clearly that day, but they got a glimpse of a name, Cassius. As soon as Caligula left the oracle, he put out the order. Cassius was executed almost immediately. The problem was that the Cassius that had been executed was Cassius Longinus, a Roman governor in Asia, not Cassius Cheria, the head of his security detail. In his frantic state, Caligula had overlooked the threat that was right under his nose. When Cassius Cheria realized what had happened, he knew he had to act fast before Caligula could suspect his mistake. Cassius knew that Caligula would never miss the upcoming Palatine Games, which were to be held in his honor in late January. Not only was he certain of the emperor's attendance, he knew the exact route he would take to get there. The emperor didn't take the normal road to the Colosseum. No, he traveled through a labyrinth of subterranean tunnels called the Cryptoporticus. The dark remote tunnels were the perfect location for an assassination. In the days before the games, Cassius recruited about a half dozen co-conspirators, including other Praetorian guards, senators, and one of Caligula's former slaves. He told them the exact time to gather in the Cryptoporticus with their knives. They would wait for his signal to strike and stab the emperor exactly 30 times, the same number of blows that killed Caligula's ancestor and namesake, Julius Caesar. On the morning of January 24th, 41 CE, Caligula woke up early to get ready for the Palatine Games. As soon as he sat up, he felt a throbbing pain in his stomach. This wasn't too surprising, as Caligula had several well-known health issues. But to the surprise of many, including his attendant guard, Cassius, today's pain was so severe that Caligula wanted to skip the Palatine Games and stay in bed. Cassius's assassination plan was already in motion. His co-conspirators would be gathering in the tunnels any moment now. If Caligula canceled, someone would surely uncover the plot. Cassius and some of Caligula's other advisors urged him to get out of bed and make an appearance, even a brief one. He couldn't disappoint all the people who'd come out to the Colosseum to honor him. With a bit of disgruntlement, Caligula dressed and got ready to go. Cassius led his entourage through the Cryptoporticus to Palatine Hill. When Caligula arrived at the Colosseum, the cheering and applause immediately put him in a better mood. He sat among the common people, surrounded by his Praetorian guard for safety. Cassius took a seat right next to the emperor, keeping a close eye on him in more ways than one. As the time dragged by for Cassius, Caligula had the time of his life feasting, drinking, and watching the gladiators. But boredom began to set in for him by around mid-afternoon. Caligula got up and announced he was heading back to the palace for a bath before the evening's events. He insisted he was leaving alone and he didn't want security to follow him. 
This was a regular command from the emperor who believed himself to be an invincible god. Of course, Cassius always made sure his men had eyes on Caligula. But today, Cassius ensured that he would personally be the one watching the emperor on his way back to the palace. As Caligula exited the Colosseum and made his way to the tunnels, Cassius followed only a few dozen steps behind. Caligula eventually noticed he was being followed against his orders. Annoyed by his head bodyguard's persistence, he picked up the pace. When Caligula entered the tunnels, he finally turned around and asked Cassius why he was following him. Cassius told him he needed to know the daily password for the palace in case any urgent news occurred and he needed to send a messenger. Caligula praised Cassius's forethought and pondered what the password should be. After a moment of thought, he smiled smugly and said the password would be Venus in Cassius's honor. As Caligula laughed, Cassius pulled a knife from behind his back and slashed Caligula's face from ear to nose. The strike sent Caligula to the ground, screaming in pain. Cassius shouted, Germanicus, the signal for his co-conspirators to approach. Each with their own knife, Cassius's allies stabbed the defenseless Caligula another 27 times. They were careful to strike him in places that would keep him alive and in immense pain. They left the last two strikes for Cassius. Cassius stood over the weeping Caligula and with one precise incision, cut off the emperor's testicles. He leaned close to Caligula's ear and whispered that he was nothing but a shadow of his father. Cassius then spit in Caligula's face and slit his throat. With exactly 30 stabs, Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus was dead in the same manner as his notorious ancestor. The 28-year-old emperor had barely ruled for four years. The assassins wiped the blood off their weapons, ducked through the darkened maze of tunnels, and prepared for phase two of their plot, killing Caligula's wife and daughter. Next week, We'll cover how the citizens of Rome reacted to the news of Caligula's death and the chaos that occurred as the empire found itself leaderless. We'll also explore how history might have been changed if Caligula had only stayed in bed on the morning of the Palatine Games. Thanks for listening to Assassinations. We hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series on the assassination of Caligula. If you're looking for more episodes or other stories of murder and crime, you can find us, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. See you next Monday. Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations is written by Sammy Sarzosa 
and stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas. 